sermon podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Guys, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab your Bibles this morning. And we are continuing, I don't really have a title for this series, but uh, we are just continuing to take steps forward uh, under the umbrella of this overarching idea, which is that genuine friendships are our gospel strategy for witness and healing to the world, okay? So genuine friendships become God's strategy for God's people to walk in in order for us to bring gospel witness and healing to the world. And that is no easy task. Building legitimate, genuine, authentic, lasting, and enduring friendships. Let's not make this trite. I believe that godly friendships where there are uh, relationships of mutual trust and mutual respect and mutual submission, where, there, where those things exist, we have, we have spaces where God can inhabit, where kingdom work can take place. So in the name of Jesus, we pray, Holy Spirit, guide and direct our time together in your word. We ask, oh God, that you would speak to every single one of us. Father, we pray that the gospel would be illuminated in our hearts and our minds afresh and anew today. We ask, God, that you would pierce and you would break down any and every wall that we may have to gospel power to the truth of the expansive nature of the gospel that speaks to all of humanity. Holy Spirit, we welcome you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week I gave this idea that in Peter and Cornelius, in Acts chapter 10, this is our base camp scripture. So if you haven't turned to Acts chapter 10, turn to Acts chapter 10. We're going to begin reading the beginning part of this story again. And this story is so amazing, you guys, because God takes two radically different people. He takes a Gentile soldier and a Jewish apostle, fuses their lives together, and there is incredible kingdom exponential impact that takes place. Now, we've stopped in Acts chapter 10, but if you keep reading, the rest of the book is pretty good. And what you'll find out is in Acts chapter 11, out of the gospel being preached to the Gentiles, there's actually a church that's planted. It's a pretty significant church planted in a pretty significant place. Anybody have any clues on where that significant church? Antioch! Antioch was planted out of the gospel going to the Gentiles. And what we find is, is that it was actually started by Gentile Christians. So people who never had an opportunity to hear the gospel, now they're hearing the gospel, they're getting saved, their lives are being transformed, and then churches are starting. And Antioch was so amazing, because... It was a multicultural, multiracial, five-fold ministry. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The breadth of the diversity of God and the kingdom was being inhabited in Antioch. And they were sending out church planting teams. That's where Paul made a name for himself, right? So he and Barnabas would be sent out of Antioch going into these dark spaces and these dark regions where the gospel never penetrated. And then uh, demonic Powers were being thrust out. The gospel was being preached. People were getting saved and churches were being planted that turned into church planting churches. This all happened as a result of God taking two radically different people and bridging their lives, breaking barriers, bridging their lives and allowing the spirit of God to work in and among those differences. Now, if you weren't with us last week, it was a pretty fun week. It was a little overwhelming because we talked about all of the many ways in which we're different. And we have this list of all these categories that we went through to identify all the many ways that we are unique and that we are different so that we can understand that every single person that I approach is a unique life. There is no one size that fits all. And our stories are radically different. But as I understand your story and my story, it helps me see God's story. And so today we're going to talk more 
about building bridges, but not so much about identifying our differences. Because as great as our differences are, and as many as our differences are, you don't build friendships by focusing on differences. You don't build authentic relationships by only highlighting the things that we don't have in common. We build friendships by identifying the things that we do have in common. And I'm here today to propose that we actually have a lot of things in common. That there are things that are inherent to the human experience captured in the gospel that actually have the power to bring our lives together more so than drive them apart. So in Acts chapter 10, let's let's just read this story one more time to become deeply, deeply familiar with what is happening here. Acts chapter 10, again, beginning in verse one. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and he prayed to God regularly. One day at about three o'clock in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and he said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who's called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. This is the word of the Lord. Now, last week we looked at these two men and we looked at these verses and we identified all the different categories in which they could be different. And today I'll turn your attention to think and to imagine and consider all the, the things that Peter and Cornelius had in common. Think about the fact that both of these guys were connected to families. Peter was married, Cornelius was married. They had siblings. Think about the fact that the scripture tells us this. It says that Cornelius was a God-fearing man. Peter was a God-fearing man. Cornelius prayed to God regularly. There was this sense of uh, religious discipline inside of Cornelius. He wanted to please God. He wanted to be obedient to God. And obviously we know Peter's life. He wanted to obey God. He wanted to please God. These become common bridges. They become anchor points by which we can traverse our differences and make connections one with another. Prayed regularly, devout, God-fearing. One of the things I find interesting is that Cornelius had an encounter with God. Cornelius had a legitimate encounter with God. Peter had an encounter with God. So these are some similarities that we see in the text, but I wanna zoom out a little bit and I wanna talk about some universal themes that we find in all of humanity. Several years ago, as the director of ropes course training for ORU missions, the previous director asked if I would conduct um, evangelism training for all of the teams that go out. Now, there are about 30 to 35 mission teams that go out from ORU every year. We're talking about anywhere from 350 to 450 college students that are going to the uttermost bounds of the earth, Asia, Africa, Latin America, Europe. How do you train each of these teams to go into all these different spaces and for them to be contextually and culturally sensitive? So one of the things that developed out of that training was this idea that there are universal themes that every single person on the planet, no matter what gender, no matter what age, no matter what culture, no matter what ethnicity, no matter what political affiliation or religious background, that there are universal themes that actually transcend all of our differences and they have the power to connect us together through their commonality. One of the ways that I get the students to start thinking about this is I just ask them, I say, what are some things, if you could think of one word answers, what are some things that every human being on the planet goes through or experiences or desires or is similar in their human experience? And you hear things like this. You hear things like death, fear, relationship, love, joy. I mean, all, there's so many. And as I'm you know, going through this session with about 50 students in each of our sessions and we replicate that each day. I mean, the list just grows and grows and grows. We have all of these universal commonalities. So I've taken these ideas and I've organized them by the gospel narrative. 
So I wanna share them with you today, but here's my appeal, you guys. Here is my appeal to you. Uh, Let's not just allow this to be some kind of didactic message, right? Let us not just allow it to be some kind of information transmission. I want us, this this is such a deeply human message that I'm trying to communicate with you today. And my appeal is as you listen to these things, I want you not just to listen to ideas and information. I want you to see people. I want you to think about your human experiences. I want you to think about your friends, your neighbors, your strangers, your coworkers. I want you to think about any and every mission trip you've ever gone on. I want you to think about people from different places that you've interacted with, people from different persuasions and backgrounds as you listen to these things. I want you to see faces and I want you to hear names this morning. All right, beginning with creation. Creation. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down under creation. I've got three eyes for you. The first eye is this image of God. Every person that you and I meet with has an innate desire to know that they're valuable. Isn't it true? There's not one person on the planet. In fact, when you encounter someone who is ready to give up on life, when you, when you encounter someone who has a very, very low self-esteem, they're self-damaging, they're damaging to others, it's because something that was so innate inside of them was either neglected, abused, or abandoned. And that thing is that every single one of us were created to know that we have immense eternal worth that is hardwired into every human soul. And the reason why is in Genesis chapter one, verse 27, the scripture says that God created us in his image. He created us in his image. That image does not go away. That image is not marred because Jesus is the image of God. Scripture tells us that in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Jesus is the icon, the image of God, the express representation of who God is. And we were created towards that. We were created in that image. So where does our value come from? Where does our worth come from? Every human being on the planet has immense value and worth because they're created in the image of God. The second thing is, is that we were created not only in the image of God, but that we were created with an identity. We were created with an identity. The scripture says right after God creates male and female in the very next verse, in verse 28, it says he blessed them. Friends, you have been blessed with an identity. You have been blessed as a son You have been blessed as a daughter. It's who you are. And we can derive our identity from external things like our jobs, our positions, how talented we are, how athletic or artistic, what our personality is. We talked about our personality last week a little bit. Uh, We can derive our identity, our sense of inherent value and worth on uh, how much money we've accumulated, what material possessions we, we have. Or we can derive our identity, the sense that we are deeply beloved as sons and daughters from the voice of God, from the one who created us. And friends, I'm just here to say, if we are deriving our identity from anything else, it's shallow, it's hollow, it's false, it's deceptive, and it's not, it's not gonna produce life. You are sons and you are daughters. And every single human being on the planet is on a quest to discover who they are, to discover what they're about, to discover why they're here, to discover why they matter. It's the identity of God hardwired into every human being. Here's the third thing under creation, intimacy. Intimacy. Every person you experience has a deep longing to be seen. To be seen. Every person that you experience has a deep longing to be known, to be known for who we are and to be seen and to be known and to be loved. God has hardwired that into every single one. And it really, and it doesn't go away no matter how old we get. We think that's just something for kids. No, guys, listen, people in our 60s, 70s, 80s, until we pass this life on earth, we will have a deep desire to be seen and known and loved. It's actually one of the the main issues that we have societally right now is that we don't see each other. We don't hear each other. We don't hear nuance. We throw people in general uh, categories and and it keeps us from seeing each other. One of the things they used to teach us as missionaries, and I love this, and we teach this to all our missionaries. We say, listen, guys, more important than the drama that you're doing, 
more important than the, 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 the house that you're helping to build, more important than the classes that you're teaching or the sermon that you're gonna preach. We want you to come away with names, faces, and the color of people's eyes. We ask our students that. That's great. Tell me their name. Tell me some of their story. Tell me some of their pain. Tell me some of their hopes. Tell me what's going on in their life. And do you remember the color of their eyes? Nuance this. Nuance this. Creation is a universal theme. It speaks to our point of origin. And the universal themes of the gospel, you guys remember, it touches every person on the planet, no matter where they're at. But we also have a broken place of our story. It's called sin. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this word down. Under fall, under the category of the fall, I want you, number one, to write down sin. Because what happens when we experience sin? What happened when sin entered into the human story? Mankind who was experiencing intimacy with God, that fellowship was broken. It was broken. And as a result of that brokenness, these things crept into the human heart. Shame, guilt, and fear. There's not one person on the planet that you will meet who has not touched or experienced in some way shame, guilt, or fear. Every one of us are afraid of something. Every one of us are afraid of something in this human experience. And that, my friends, is the result of sin. The scripture tells us that there is not one person that is righteous, Romans 3.10, not one. There is not one person that is standing before God faultless. Better yet, in Romans 3.23, it says this, for all have sinned. Who have sinned? (laughs) All have sinned. It's a universal theme. All have sinned and they have fallen short of the glory of God. And the effect of that sin is shame, guilt, fear, isolation, and separation from God. But here's the other S, it's called sickness. There's not one person on the planet that you'll interact with who has not experienced sickness to some degree. And we tend to think of sickness as only a, a physical condition. And sickness, very, I mean, we're living right now in a pandemic. Sickness is on everyone's mind because we are so vulnerable to the effects of sin. We are some of the most vulnerable creatures, you guys. But sickness is a universal unifying theme if we think about it rightly. Because if everyone has experienced sickness, it means that all of us have a yearning and a longing for healing. It means that every single person has the capacity by God and by the gospel to experience the healing, restoring power of God to make us whole. And we long for that. We long to be whole. Sickness is not just a physical condition. It's an emotional condition. It's a mental condition. Think about the sickness of your mind. Think about the twisted and perverted thoughts that run through your mind. Think about when someone cuts you off and something that immediately jumps into your mind. Think about when someone disagrees with you on your social media post and the things that run through your mind. Think about when your kids don't go to bed when you ask them to the 10th time and what goes through your mind. We are sick in the head. Sickness. Sick emotionally. We're sick relationally. We're sick financially. We're sick systemically. Sickness is a universal theme and the gospel speaks to it. Think about the last time you were really, really sick. Think about how weak you were. Think about how helpless you were, how dependent you were. Think about how much you despised that and realize that when people are challenged physically, that when people are going through a difficult time in their bodies, think about how deeply they yearn and long to be whole. I had a pastor friend of mine say this. He said, Jade, he said, you should never take for granted one healthy day in your life. He says, every day that you close your eyes and you go to sleep and you've not experienced pain in your body, you ought to thank God for that. Because pain in our bodies is a crippling chronic factor that we yearn to be delivered from. What else is the effect of sin? It's not just sickness, but sorrow. Every single person that you experience, every single person that you meet, every single person you run into, or read about, or hear about on the news, has touched pain in some way. As a result of sin, you guys, pain's part of the human experience. Unfortunately, sadly, pain is a part of the human experience. We've all experienced loss. We've all experienced disappointment, hopes that have been shattered, 
Some of us were in places right now where we're experiencing pain because we expected something that has not taken place yet. We've experienced setbacks, injustice, frustrations, things that have happened to us that we would not wish on anybody and have put pain in our hearts, broken relationships, broken dreams. The human experience, guys, is fraught with pain. And it's a result of the fall. Look at these scriptures with me, if you would. I didn't go over these in first service because I just totally blew right by them, but I think they're pretty powerful scriptures in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 10. Proverbs 14, verse 10. The Bible says, each heart knows its own bitterness and no one else can share its joy. Listen to the nuance of that. Each heart knows its own bitterness. Sometime during this series, I wanna talk with you about pain. I think it's important if we're gonna build healthy friendships, if we're gonna build genuine friendships, we need to have the ability to move into people's pain. We need to have the ability to empathize with people's pain. Even if we've never experienced their pain, we've experienced some pain and we can identify with the commonality of our pain. Pete Scazzaro, who leads a ministry called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, talks about this, this fact and it's just so powerful. He had a friend point this out to him. Pete's a, an Italian immigrant. He kind of grew up not being allowed to tap into his emotions or experience pain. And so all of life, he just kind of bypassed his emotional state. He just ignored his emotional health. He'd experienced damaging things in his life and he'd just ignore them. And then one of his good friends came to him one time and he said this, he says, Pete, you are unable to empathize with other people's pain because you have never tapped into your own pain. You can't grieve with other people because you've never grieved for yourself. And this morning, if there are some of you in this room and you've never grieved over loss, you've never experienced healing of the deep, painful, traumatic things in your life, friend, I wanna give you permission today. Seek that. Seek that. You have permission to go and allow your heart to tap back into the grief that comes from loss and to touch that pain. And it's, it's painful, it's difficult, but it's necessary because when we ignore our pain, it keeps us, it actually becomes a barrier that keeps us from empathizing and connecting with the people that are around us who are going through their own stories of pain. Look at this verse in Proverbs 14, 13. Even in laughter, the heart may ache and rejoicing may end in grief. Look at that. Even in laughter, the heart may ache and rejoicing may end in grief. Pain and grief and loss are a part of the human experience. Proverbs 17, 22 says, a cheerful heart is like good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. But thank God for Jesus, that the fall and sin and sorrow and sickness are not the end of the human story. They're not the end of our human experience because Jesus came sent from the father to bring salvation and reconciliation. He came to bring redemption. And if I were to use totally non-Christian words, here's how I would say this, that deep within the human heart, every single one of us long for a second chance. Deep within the human heart, every single person on the planet longs for their slate to be wiped clean. Think about this. Why do we start New Year's resolutions every year? Because we failed the year before. And we want an opportunity to start over. We want an opportunity to have a fresh start. We want a second chance. I experience this in every arena of my life, you guys. I love new mornings because new mornings, there's new mercies. And I am so deeply aware of the mistakes that I made the day before. But deep inside of me, there's a longing to have a fresh start. I want a clean slate. I need a second chance. The beginning of a new week is an opportunity to start afresh. I love new seasons, spring, summer, fall. It doesn't matter what the new season is. It gives me an opportunity to start afresh. Birthdays, New Year's. I I guarantee you guys, there is not one person on the planet, if you really begin to scale back the layers, if you really begin to drill deep down into their heart, there is not one man who has had a broken relationship with his kids, if you really start to drill down, he would say, God, what I would do for a second chance. 
I mean, we may see the, the, the exterior, we might see the jaded callousness, but I promise you, you just drill and drill and you get through the pride and you get through the ego and you get past that pain and that man will tell you, I would do anything I could to start over and have a second chance to make it right with my kids or to make it right with my spouse or to just start this whole thing all over again. Because inside of our heart, we yearn for grace. We need grace. We need to know that the relationship can be made new again. Look at this verse with me, if you would, in 1 Timothy chapter one. We may go to this at the table, but I wanna look at this right now because it, is, it speaks so powerfully to our need for mercy and patience and grace. And when you read this, here's what I want you to read. I want you to read with categorical eyes. Now, wait a minute, you told me not to do that. I know, I know, I know. I, told, I want you to see everybody as a human. And yet, but right now, I want you to read through categorical eyes. I want you to read this through the lens of this person was a terrorist. Maybe, maybe, maybe like some of the, uh, the judgments and stereotypes that we have of our, of our common day uh, Muslim terrorists. I want you to put those lenses on. This was a person to be feared. This is a person that deserved death. This was a person who was a murderer to other people. And let us read this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. He says, even though I was once a blasphemer, anybody know any blasphemers? Anybody interact with any blasphemers? Some of you guys read stuff on Facebook and like, you may not use the word blasphemer, but you totally like, you're a mocker. You're an idiot. There's no way you've got no hope. That's Paul. He was like, listen, I was a blasphemer. I was a mocker. I was intellectually an opponent of everything that you guys stood for. And I persecuted you because I had the intellectual capacity to do it. That joker was smart. He was, I would not want to get into an argument with Paul. Are you kidding me? There's Paul though. Just an antagonist, man. And not only was he a blasphemer and a persecutor, he was a violent man. He was a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Look at this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We just pause right there. I think, I think one of the biggest problems that we have in the church is that we've forgotten that we were and to some degree still are the very thing that we despise in the people around us. Brandon Manning talks about this a lot. He talks about it being so necessary for us to have the willingness to look at the depravity of our sin and the need for grace, because if we don't understand our need for grace, we will not drink deeply of grace. We think that we only need small portions of grace. Well, I'm not as bad as they are. Jesus tells this story about a person who had a small debt and a big debt. And the person who had got forgiven of the large debt, scripture says this person loved much. And you might be taking inventory of your life and going, well, I didn't do as bad of things as the other people. But listen, that sin is no respecter of persons and there's no categories in sin. And the thing that we have to understand is that I am, I am just as wicked and I'm just as evil as the most vile and wicked person that is out there because the same virus runs through my being. I am the victim and I'm the victimizer. That's in me. I'm judgmental. I'm arrogant. I'm angry. I'm violent. I'm indifferent. I'm, 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 I'm not caring. Guys, listen, that is in me. It may not be in you, but it's in me. And you know I'm saying that comically because it's in you too. It's in us. And this is what Paul, I, the guys, Paul wrote this book at the end of his life. Man, the Christian life is hard. Now we're so saturated in media that has the power to desensitize us. And I think the thing that keeps us sensitive and broken and compassionate is realizing how deeply we need grace. We need grace so desperately, you guys. 
And at the end of his day, the thing that grounded Paul was these statements right here. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. Let's keep reading these verses. But for that very reason, for the fact that I was the worst, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience. I love that. His immense patience. Anybody ever experienced the patience of God? Some of you need to experience patience with yourself because God is patient with you, friends. And one of the reasons we're not patient with others is because we have not tasted the patience of God towards us. Why can't they just get it? It's taken me a while. I think if we're all honest with ourselves, you guys, transformation is a lifelong process which requires patience on ourselves from God and it requires patience towards others. Look at this, Christ Jesus displayed his immense patience. I like the translation that says his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. We're gonna look at that verse again when we come to the table this morning. Salvation is a universal theme. Here's the final one, hope, eternal hope. You know, I think hardwired into every human being, no matter how difficult their upbringing is, if you ask, if you ask a kid before they get jaded, before hope is snuffed out of them, I think if you ask any kid, even in the most dire and abusive and neglectful of situations, you ask a kid what they dream about for the future and they have dreams and hopes for the future. It's because hope is hardwired into the human soul. It's the echo of eternity calling to us. Come, I am creating a new heaven and a new earth and I'm calling you into my goodness. I'm calling you into a world where I make everything right. Don't lose hope. Hope is a universal theme. There is not one person on the planet. Hope is the oxygen for the soul. We all need hope. One of the reasons why we know this is because there are thousands of people that are pouring into our nation and trying to get into our nation because of hope. Hope for a better life, if not for them, for their children and their grandchildren. And they'd be willing to suffer because hope drives them to a better future. I want you to think, you guys, about these universal themes. And now I want to click this in. I want to tighten the aperture a little bit and bring this in to a little bit closer focus because here's why I think these universal themes are important. I, I think they're important because our gospel commonalities humanize us. Our gospel commonalities humanize us. And our gospel commonalities tenderize us. And if I might here just for a few minutes, I hope and I pray to God that you don't think that this is just about race for me. This is about the human experience. This is about being a better spouse to my wife. This is about me being a better friend to you. This is about humanizing me as a pastor so that I don't become desensitized to your journey. This is about recognizing that those that are trying to come into our country, that they are human beings that hurt and they're fleeing oppression. And some of them, this is their last straw and to humanize that. It's not to say that they don't have very, very deep and complex difficulties and challenges to work through. I recognize all that. I recognize some of that. But I think our starting point has to be we have to humanize the situation. And here's how we begin. We begin not by allowing political affiliations or political ideologies to be our first foot out the gate. Think about this. Like people who are struggling and suffering and people who are hurting, they're no longer a person. They're a statistic. They're a sweeping generalization. They're a categorical statement. There's something to be analyzed. There's something to post. I want you to think about this for a second. I want you to think about the deepest point of pain that you've experienced. Some of you have lost jobs unfairly, unjustly. 
Some of you have lost children. Some of you have lost parents. Some of you have lost family members. And I want you to imagine that people just took that and they just threw that up on, on Facebook and Twitter and just talked about it like it was just the, the next thing. Just think about that. Guys, that's dehumanizing. No one wants our pain thrown out into the streets for people to pick apart and analyze and justify. That's so dehumanizing. I want you to think about the church and what our responsibility is. Because the argument at hand is not a political argument. The issue at hand is we've lost our ability to see each other as sons and daughters created in the image of God. People who hurt, people who dream, people who are connected deeply to other people. I want you to think about this. Every person on the planet is somebody's son or someone's daughter. You are someone's son. You're someone's daughter. And there is not one person that we read about in the news There is not one person that we interact with on either side of the town that is not somebody's son, that is not somebody's daughter. And I don't know about you, but one of the deepest parts of my heart beats for my sons and for my daughter. You want to find out who Jay Duncan is, you you start tapping into who I am as a father who cares more than anything about my sons and about my daughter. Humanize that. And not only is somebody someone's son or daughter, but they're potentially someone's brother. They're potentially someone's sister, someone's niece, someone's nephew, someone's spouse, someone's fiance. They're probably someone's coach for a little league sports team or someone's dance instructor. Or maybe they're a, maybe they're a mentor. Maybe they're an advocate for someone who doesn't have a voice. Every human being that you interact with is somebody to someone else. And guys, I'm telling you, that is a starting point. If for nothing else, you guys remember this story? Jesus tells a story about a guy who had a hundred sheep. Remember that story? And it just so happened that one of those 100 wandered off and got lost. Remember that story? And you see, for Jesus, it wasn't just, you know, oh, it was just one. We got 99. Hey, at least we got a majority. It's okay. Like for Jesus, the heart of the shepherd, and he says this, he says, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one person that is lost that enters into heaven than over the 99 that are okay. Think about this, that every single person to Jesus matters. No matter all the differences that we talked about last week. Friends, I'm asking you today, I'm appealing with you today, that person that we just label as gay, that person's someone's son. Think about those three words, image of God, identity, intimacy. Think about sin. Think about shame. Think about separation. Think about sickness. Think about sorrow. Let that touch you. Let that touch me. Let that tenderize us. Let that humanize us. That girl that we throw all of those categorical statements on, who's confused, who's hurting, who's struggling, that's someone's daughter. Someone's weeping over that person. Someone's weeping over the person that we're walking by. You know, several weeks ago, and this all happened during the COVID season, so we didn't talk about it here. There's a young man by the name of Ahmaud Arbery. I got a picture right here in my journal that I look at. And it tenderizes me and it humanizes me. You know, when this first hit the news media, it just consumed me. I mean, it just consumed me. I couldn't think. I couldn't think. I couldn't function. I didn't realize this, but you know, my best friend in high school was a black guy by the name of Ricky Reams. He used to wear that exact same hat. It's a polo hat and a polo shirt. My best friend. I remember being here on a Thursday night. Christy was like, are you coming home? I didn't come home until about eight o'clock that night. Cause every time I would, I would look at this picture, I would just weep like uncontrollably. 
I really felt like it was something spiritual that was taking place because when I looked at his face, I wept like one of my own sons had just been gunned down in the street. Ahmaud Arbery, you know what happened? In the hours after this, one of the top Google searches was Ahmaud Arbery criminal history. You know why that is? Because if Ahmad's a criminal, then somehow it justifies us not caring. If Ahmad's a criminal, somehow it justifies the fact that he was gunned down jogging in a neighborhood where he popped in to take a look at a house that was being built and two guys in a truck, a father and a son, pulled out their shotguns and gunned him down like a dog in the streets and murdered him in broad daylight. But hey, if we can find the fact that maybe he had a criminal history, it's okay. That's okay. Do you see how dehumanizing that is, you guys? And listen, it's not just because he's a black man. I mean, this could have been a Muslim terrorist and that is uncalled for. We don't treat humans, not as Christians anyways. Not as Christians. Maybe your political ideology gives you room for that. But I'm just saying as a Christian follower of Jesus, there's no space to not care, no matter what the categorical statements might be, you guys. I fear that we have become so desensitized We've just become so desensitized. I mean, if we're really honest with ourselves, a lot of the maneuvers and the tactics that we say, well, I've got to wait for all the evidence to come out. Those are evasive tactics to keep us from feeling and identifying with the reality of the brokenness of our world and entering into the pain of another human being. Ahmaud Arbery was somebody's son. I posted this picture of Ahmaud next to Kenya on my Facebook wall. Because when I looked at him, regardless of whether he was a criminal or not, you guys, he was somebody's son. George Floyd was somebody's brother. Breonna Taylor was somebody's daughter. And the church should care about that. I have this video I want you guys to watch. It's about a three-minute clip. This is a conversation that Bishop T.D. Jakes had with Carl Lentz. Bishop T.D. Jakes is one of the largest voices and leaders in Christianity, and he has been for about 40 years. Carl Lentz is an up-and-coming pastor in New York, and they put their relationship on display. And, and, and guys, let me, just, let me just say this. Guys, there are so many magnificent conversations that are happening right now. And if you want to know what some of them are, just ask me. I would send you so many. Christine Kane and Anita Phillips and Carl Lentz and Anita Phillips and John Gray and Stephen Furtick. And I mean, it's just endless. There are so many powerful conversations that speak to this. And when you watch this, I, I beg of you, I want you to watch this and I want you to hear the voice of a father. I can't watch this and not cry. It's just about three minutes. Let's roll this if we could, guys. My son called me the other day. It was about 11.30. It might have been 12 o'clock at night. He called me. Which son? My my oldest son, Jamar. Okay. And he called me and he said, Daddy, he said, I'm in trouble. And my heart dropped. I thought, oh, my God. Right. Because when you call me that time of night and you say, Dad, the conversation starts, Daddy, I'm in trouble. It's not going to be good. He said, Daddy, I'm in trouble. I said, what's wrong, son? He said, I had a car wreck. He said, and it's real bad. He said, I think the the car is totaled and, and I think the other guy might be hurt. He said, and, and, and he hit me. He said, it was not my fault. He was crying. He was crying. He was crying. He was crying. He was crying on the phone. And I said, are you okay? He said, yes, sir. He said, I think I'm okay. I think I'm fine. And I said, keep me on the phone. Keep me on the phone. You know why I said, keep me on the phone? I was more scared of the police than I was of the car wreck. Hmm. I was scared to death. Hmm. I was scared to death. And when I heard the policeman talk to him like he was a human being, I breathed a sigh of relief. I was scared to death. And I told my son, I said, don't say nothing. Don't move. Don't get upset. Don't go, don't drive away. Don't panic. Don't freak out. Don't do anything. Keep me on the phone. I was scared mm-hmm. to death. Mm-hmm that I would be sitting beside Benjamin Crump today on CNN 
not of the wreck. I was scared of the police. And until you understand the reality of that feeling, you 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 won't you you won't get the utter turmoil that we had, the kinds of conversations that we had with our children. That don't work, by the way, that don't work. Can have all the combos in the world and you can't sit still enough. No, no, you can sit perfectly still. This guy wasn't fighting. He wasn't resisting arrest. We've seen people had their hands on the wheel, hands out the window, still got shot. I don't know what to tell my kids to make them safe. I know. I don't know what to tell my kids, my sons or my daughters to ensure that they are safe. And what we need, these these fraternities of silence to the police officers that are sitting out there and you are good and you love Jesus and you're you're kind people. When you see a brother in blue doing wrong, you cannot allow your fraternity to the other police officer to be stronger than your commitment to God. Mm. You cannot, you cannot pledge such an allegiance to him that you betray God to protect him. Mm. That's what we want. That's what we want. That's all. That's all we want. That's all anybody wants. We want what you want. It's not a mystery. We 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 want to grow old. Mm. We we want to live. We want a, a chance at opportunities. We want better education. We we want access to lending practices. We want that when a PPP comes through and a CARES Act comes down, we want the bank to treat us like they treat you and to give equal access to opportunities. We we want that. We just want to live. I hope that you can hear the heart of a father in that. I hope you can hear the utter powerlessness. And there's nothing that I wouldn't do to try to protect my kids. You know, last year we we went through a pretty gruesome car accident. Completely out of control, right? Car just spun out of control, flipped over a couple times. I have this face, this picture embedded in my mind of my kids in that ambulance. Shocked, scared. I can't imagine on top of that, on top of that, then to worry. Am I going to be covered? Am I going to be defended? Am I going to be protected? Is the script going to be flipped on me somehow? And in this utterly devastating moment, I'm now, I'm now not safe. I just think about this guys. Just think about this. We're talking about a man who is a powerful, wealthy, influential man. Utterly powerless. Wondering, how do I keep my son safe? And I just hope, I just hope to God, if you don't get anything today, I hope and pray today that we allow the gospel to humanize us and to humanize other people and to humanize issues. I love that. He said, we want what you want. And these gospel themes are what every human being desires. Jonathan, if you would come. Guys, I am praying. I am praying that God would so tenderize me and so humanize the people of the world that it it invites me into radical hospitality, that it makes space for table fellowship, and that I become best friends with people that are utterly unlike me so that I care about the things that the people of this world care about. I think that's what made Jesus so doggone attractive. I really do. It doesn't matter if it was a leper who was unclean or a lady who was caught in adultery. It doesn't matter if it was a tax collector that was ripping people off. Like 
There was something about Jesus. He just was so in tune with these universal themes of humanity. He knew that those things were just symptoms, you guys. And we're just staying on the surface. We're just arguing back and forth. You know what we're doing? We're reinforcing some of the reasons why people are the way that they are. And if we could just just slow down enough to get under those layers and realize that underneath this is a woman who got abused or a son who got molested. Underneath this, underneath this, underneath this was someone who got bullied. Underneath this was someone who's been systematically targeted. Underneath this, guys, we gotta get underneath. We gotta get below the cultural rhetoric that keeps us from seeing human beings as sons and daughters that someone is fighting for in the spirit and someone is weeping over. And we gotta realize that we need them. Whoever your them is, we need them. The church of Jesus needs them. They're not poor, they're sons and daughters. They're not black, they're not just immigrants. They're not just angry white people. They're not just bad cops. Whatever our categories or labels are, and they're vast, guys. We have been so discipled. We've been so discipled into blinding categories that keep us from seeing one another. And I'm asking you today, I'm inviting you today. I'm asking as you come to this table, let body and blood, let cup and bread be made afresh to us today to give us new eyes and new hearts because that's what the gospel is all about. So would you just stand with me this morning? Jesus, we come to you today. And I'm asking, oh God, today that you would tenderize our hearts so that we could humanize the issues. God, I'm asking today that you would do what only you can do, which is give us revelation of so many things, of our need for grace, of our own depravity, God, that you would give us revelation of the immense eternal worth of every human being, that you would give us revelation of your unlimited patience and love, that you would give us revelation of how callous we may have become, how desensitized and dehumanized, God, we may have become. God, I ask that you would give us revelation of our need for your mercy. So many things, God, we must have your mercy. So today... As we come, I invite you to experience Jesus afresh and anew in the body, in the blood, in the bread, in the cup. We pray, Holy Spirit, come make these things life unto us. In Jesus' name, Antioch, would you come today to receive from the table of the Lord? to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.